Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato, founder and fitness coach of Thrivology in Alexandria, Kentucky. And today, I have a different colored shirt on. So I hope it doesn't throw you off. Of course, if you're listening to this, you have no idea what color shirt I have on, so it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to me either. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I looked for my gray shirt for 15 minutes this morning and then freaked out and then lost my mind and had to be pulled out of a deep, sad depression. Um, But I made it here nonetheless. I'm mostly kidding. That's not really totally what happened. I did look for it for 15 minutes and did not find it. But I'm told that this looks good. Um, Jana is encouraging me that it looks really good, so I think she's excited. She told me yesterday that I should wear a different colored shirt, so I'm convinced she stole it. Nonetheless, here we are. We're going to talk about, we're going to continue our conversation. Um, Sorry, I had to like, I don't know why I felt justified in giving that whole spiel, but there it is. Today, we're going to continue our conversation that we started last week about calories. Since we started talking about counting calories, I thought it only made sense to continue talking about burning calories since the equation is calories in minus calories out, and that gets you to the goal that you're after. What we're going to finish up today is the calories out portion. Well, this week is the calories out portion so that we can then have a general idea Number one of why calories in minus calories out is not as simple as a simple number minus number kind of idea. And then number two, we can still utilize the idea. We can still utilize calories in and calories out, but then we can at least understand that it's not as accurate as we want it to be. If we're not making progress, we can have an idea how we need to adjust, whether that's in the calories in portion or the calories out portion or a little bit of both. It's usually a little bit of both. So that we can be, continue to make progress toward our goal. So most of the examples I'm going to give and most of the examples I gave last time are around weight loss because when it comes to most people, this isn't everybody, but when it comes to most people, what they're striving for is weight loss when they're trying to track their calories. So let's do a quick, we're going to talk about burning calories today. Um, what is What does burning calories mean really is the question. When we're talking about burning calories, why is that the statement? Why is that the way that we put it? Let's do a quick refresher of what a calorie is. A calorie is a unit of measurement. It is how much energy it takes to increase one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. Recall that there is big C calorie and little c calorie. Little c calorie is how much energy it takes to increase one gram of water, one degree Celsius. For us, we are utilizing the big c calorie, also called a kilo calorie or kcal. It is how much energy it takes to increase one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. So on the surface, that's what we're talking about when it, we're talking about burning calories, how much energy it takes it's, it's raising our energy to the level that we're starting to burn calories. Different nutrients have different calorie quantities within them. One gram of protein has four calories in it. One gram of carbs has four calories in it. One gram of fat has nine calories. And one gram of alcohol has seven calories. Now, 
I'm going to throw alcohol in the nutrients and macronutrients conversation because for most people, alcohol is a, I'll say a normal thing. And I'm, I think I'm, I think most people is probably the proper way to put that. Um, but for a lot of people, at least calor, alcohol is a normal thing to have. So it is important to understand that it's not free. It's not zero just because you don't see a nutrition label on it and you don't see calories on it doesn't mean that there aren't calories there. There are definitely calories there. There are seven calories actually per gram of alcohol. So nonetheless, that's why I continue. I did last week and why I will this week talk about alcohol within this context. Okay. So a calorie is a unit of energy and macronutrients come with a certain number of calories per gram. When you ingest food, uh, it has to be broken down in, in, into its constituent parts. So when you eat food, no matter what you're eating, it has to be broken down. Based on what it is, it's broken down into different things. So carbohydrates, for instance, are eventually broken down into simple sugars. So we talk about reducing sugar intake and why sugars are bad and blah, 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 which is mostly true. Bad, I don't like that word why they're ineffective to pursuing most goals, which is mostly true. At the end of the day, in your body, that's what they turn into, uh, mostly in the form of glucose and fructose, but also other sugars, for instance, uh, lactose, milk sugar is eventually broken down into galactose, I believe. Um, so nonetheless, carbohydrates eventually broken down into simple sugars to be stored away. Then, Proteins are broken down into amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of your body, literally. Fats are broken down into fatty acids, and alcohol is eventually broken down into water and carbon dioxide, which is eventually excreted. So that's a very simple way to just tell you that this is what's happening. When you take, when you ingest a gram of one of those things, they are broken down into their constituent parts. And it is in that breaking down where partly where we're burning energy, which we'll get to in a little bit. So once nutrients are in the body, there are three options for it. Number one, you can store it for later use. Glucose is stored in a number of different organs, but primarily the liver, you can store about 100 grams of glucose um, I'm sorry, glycogen in the liver. It's also stored in muscle. You can store between 300 and 600 grams of glycogen in muscle. That is what carbohydrates are broken down into. So liver and muscle are your primary storage facilities for the carbohydrates that you ingest. Other organs, and there's other places that can store glycogen, but that's, those are the primary sources. Fatty acids, muscles can store some fatty acids. Um, of course, fat cells can store fatty acids based on the fat cell or where the fat cell is. Um, if it's under the skin, that's called subcutaneous fat. That's what most of us are trying to lose. And then if it is around the organs, it's, it's called visceral fat. That kind of fat is actually much more dangerous in abundant amounts. All of us have plenty, an abundance of fat. Even very lean people have so much like just enough fat on their bodies in their bodies to utilize for a long period of time 
Um, so that's where some basic places where fats are stored. We also have fat in our bloodstream that is not necessarily stored fat per se. It is utilized for energy. We'll get to that in a second oh, in a bit. But um, that's where fatty acids are stored. Uh, amino acids are not really stored per se. Amino acids are pretty well used up pretty quick. They have a lot of things that need to be done. Um, or they're used in a lot of different places. So the amino acid store, when you eat protein, it's usually either used up pretty quick. Um, there is uh, an amount of storage, but I, it's pretty small. I can't remember what that number is. But nonetheless, your amino acids are pretty well used uh, once you, within a day's period, whatever that looks like. Okay, so you can store them. You can lose it. So you can store the nutrients that you eat, you can lose the nutrients that you eat, you lose them um, either by excreting them, sweat, urine, feces, whatever, um, or by exhaling them. So uh, an interesting question to ask somebody is how do you lose fat whenever you burn fat? And there's a lot of interesting answers. When you lose fat, you're actually exhaling fat technically. Now, of course, you're not taking the fat as a whole and exhaling it out because then you would see <laughs> whatever blubber everywhere as you're as you're losing it um which are you're exhaling it through the body as it's breaking down it's breaking down into its constituent parts and then you're exhaling it um and that's how you're losing it okay so you can store it you can lose it or you can use it and this is where a lot of your nutrients are utilized you use it as uh, through energy production Primarily, fats and carbohydrates are used in energy production, or you use it in rejuvenation, and that is primarily amino acids, uh, as I mentioned. So that's our structure as we go into the rest of the day. Calories, a unit of energy. Each macronutrient has a certain number of calories. They're broken down into their constituent parts. Those constituent parts are either used, stored, or lost in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so let's get down to the actual burning part of it. So how do you burn, how do you actually burn calories? Well, there are three basic ways that you burn calories. There, there are only, not only, but there are three basic ways. You burn them through what is called the thermic effect of food. You burn them by what is called resting metabolic rate, which is what most people talk about when they talk about metabolism, and then you burn them through movement, thermogenesis, or physical activity, whatever you want to define that as. All of that, anytime you're doing any of those things, there are three energy systems that you're using, and you're using them at different time periods based on the intensity of whatever you're doing, okay? So, when you have these nutrients and you're ingesting these nutrients, carbs and fats are your primary sources of energy. Those sources are converted eventually into, not converted, but they're used in pathways to create what is called adenosine triphosphate or ATP. ATP is what all of us use to have energy. It is literally what your body utilizes to produce energy. When I move my fingers, when, as I'm talking and moving my lips, 
when you're laying and your body's regenerating itself, no matter what you're doing, your body is utilizing ATP, adenosine triphosphate, ATP, in order to do that. And it's primarily carbs and fats that are utilized in order to create more ATP. Your body has three broad pathways to help regenerate ATP. <clears throat> Excuse me. Regenerate ATP. Um, again, based on your level of basically physical intensity. Generally speaking, the lower the level of your basic intensity, the more fat you're utilizing, and we'll clarify what that means down the road, but the lower your level of intensity, the more fat you're utilizing and the less carbohydrates you're utilizing, and then vice versa, the higher your level of intensity, the more carbohydrate you're utilizing and kind of the less fat you're utilizing. So one of those, your first energy producer, if you will, is the aerobic system. Most people have heard of aerobics, the exercise type, but the aerobic system is utilized during any activity over about two minutes um, and utilized at rest. So for all of us that are just sitting around, the body is using the aerobic system. This is technically called the oxidative system. It also has a couple of other layers inside of it that we're not going to go into. The oxidative system or the aerobic system um, primarily utilizes fat as fuel. And again, the more you are at rest, the more fat you are using relative to carbohydrate, relative to carbohydrate. It's not that you're never using carbohydrate. You're always going to use some level of it, but the more at rest you are. Ironically, when you're sleeping, you're utilizing the most fat. And then when you're laying around and sitting around, you're utilizing the most fat. Now, I know maybe you're thinking, well, you know, we've, we've talked in Movement Matters how being sedentary is such a ineffective thing whenever we're trying to be human beings and how we need to move more often and so on and so forth. But if I'm sedentary and I'm burning more fat, then why is it that I'm putting on weight? Well, again, we're going to get into that conversation down the road, but the short answer is it's not the fat that you think it is. Um, and it's not about just what your body is utilizing. It is about the calories that you're burning. So we'll get to that again in a second. Okay, so that's the aerobic system. That's what your body is using most of the time. 80% of the time, that's just a guess number, but 80% of your time, your body's utilizing the aerobic system, and that's just to do basic processes to regenerate ATP, to continue to give you energy. And like I said, your body's using fat to do that. Some carbohydrates, but mostly fat. Okay, the next one is called the glycogen system, aka the glycolytic system from a technical standpoint. Again, there are breaking off pathways of this one, slow glycogen slow glycolysis and fast glycolysis, oh, geez, glycolysis, but we're not going to get into those. Uh, the glycolytic system or the glycogen system, glycogen being carbohydrates, glucose, which is eventually broken into glycogen, which is eventually stored into liver or muscle. Uh, this is primarily used between about 10 seconds and two minutes of moderate to high intensity exercise. I'll say higher intensity exercise. Um, and then once you get past that two minute mark, the aerobic system kicks in. Understand that when I say it kicks in, like 
to some degree, all of these energy systems are being utilized during activity. Just It's just how much they are. It's more of like a gauge when they know they need to come, one needs to come into play a little more and one needs to come into play a little less. Okay, so this is not an on-off switch kind of thing. It is a, a gauge more than anything. All right, so glycogen, 10 seconds to about two minutes, and it is carbohydrates that are utilized primarily glycogen that is stored in your muscles. And then if you go for, you know, for a really long period of time, then you start to get into liver glycogen. And then finally, we have the anaerobic system. Maybe you've heard of anaerobic exercise. That is anything generally, and these are general numbers, less than about 10 seconds of intense exercise. This is things like sprinting, lifting weights, depending on how you're lifting weights, powerlifting, if you're just doing like an activity at home, it's like if you have to climb a ladder to grab something out of a tree and then come back down, that's like a short burst of energy. So anything that's 10 seconds or less, you're using the anaerobic system. This is also called the phosphocreatine system. That's because you utilize a substrate called creatine phosphate. If you recognize the word creatine from the supplement creatine, there is a reason why that connection is there. The supplement creatine is one of the most effective, cre uh, effective supplements that any human being can utilize. We're not going to talk about that today, but this is basically that substrate, or this is basically that energy pathway that is being enhanced when you're taking creatine. It's not the only energy pathway that's being enhanced, but it's the one that, um, that really takes advantage of that creatine monohydrate. So, what you're using in that 10 second burst of energy, again, is called creatine phosphate. So we have the aerobic system that you're using most of the time. You have the glycogen system that you're using some of the time. And then you have the anaerobic system that you're using for a small amount of time. You got that? And it's, they're pretty much in that order. There are very few people that change that order at all. There's definitely not many people, if any at all, that use the anaerobic system more than definitely not more than the aerobic system. Um, so those are kind of the order in which you're using them. So, sorry, I'm turning my page to make sure I stay on track while I'm doing this. I'm going to go ahead and grab myself a sip of water, shameless plug as usual for graphology. Very good. All right. So, this is what we mean when we say burn calories. This is, this is the process that's happening. These are the energy systems that we're using whenever we're burning calories. We're burning fat calories primarily through the aerobic system. We're burning carbohydrate calories primarily through the glycogen system. And then we're not really burning any, any calories. We're burning some, but not a whole lot of calories really when we're utilizing the anaerobic system. Again, depending on how we're utilizing it. That's very important to say. And we'll actually talk about that in part three of, um, I'm sorry, part two of this series. So the next question that follows then is if you wanted to start burning more calories, how would you do that? If you know that you have these energy substrates and that you 
wanted to start enhancing calories, how would you do it? Well, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about three ways to burn calories, three ways that we utilize energy throughout the day, no matter who we are. Number one is the thermic effect of food. Number two is the resting metabolic rate. And number three is through movement thermogenesis or physical activity, whatever you want to call it. Those are the three basic ways that we utilize energy. Thermic effect of food has about 10 or is utilized or is about 10 to 15% of your energy production throughout the day. Your resting metabolic rate is anywhere from 50 to 80% of your energy production. And then movement thermogenesis is anywhere from like 20% to about 50%. Those last two are based on your physical activity level or your movement level. But the thermic effect of food stays pretty constant. So what I want to do next is break down the thermic effect of food to see if we can increase that at all, if we can burn more calories by maybe eating differently, then that will move us closer to having more calories out. In our next episode, we'll talk about resting metabolic rate and movement thermogenesis and how we can manipulate those to get more calories out. So that's how we're going that's where we're going for today is talking about the thermic effect of food, how we can manipulate it if we want to burn more calories. All right, so to understand how we can potentially burn more calories by either changing the way we eat food or what we're eating or whatever it is, we need to understand how we burn calories when we eat food. If you recall from the counting calorie series, if you did not listen to that, make sure you go back and listen. All food has a cost to it whenever you eat it. This cost is called the thermic effect, thermic effect of food or the energy that's used whenever you eat food. Each macronutrient has its own cost. Of course, you usually, sometimes you do, again, based on your dietary preferences or just depending on what you're eating at the moment, you usually don't eat just one macronutrient at a meal or at a time. Usually it's, they're mixed together. So as we break this part down, it's just to understand that each, mac, each one of these macronutrients has a different cost to it. Fats have a cost of zero to 5%. In other words, either zero, zero to 5% of fats are burned to, di to digest them. Carbohydrates have a cost of five to 10% based on the complexity of the carbohydrate. Alcohol has a cost of 15 to 20%. And then protein has a cost of 25 to 30%. Okay, so protein is broken down and eaten up, if you will, much more than, say, fats, for instance, whenever you ingest them. When you eat them together, they act differently. But if you were to only have say a chicken breast protein is going to, you're only going to get 70% or utilize 70% of that once it's broken down. Whereas if you were only to have a handful of nuts, you are going to utilize zero to five. Um, I'm sorry, 95 to hundred percent of that. So the total thermic effect of food on average throughout a day is 10 to 15%. In other words, if you were to look at all the calories that you expended by the end of the day, 10 to 15% of that would be from 
digesting food. So what does that process look like? What does digesting food look like? Why does it take 10 to 15% of our daily energy expenditure to, to process food when we're eating it? Um, let's start from the beginning. So first, when you eat food, you have to chew it. Chewing requires mechanical and chemical effort. Of course, mechanical being in the chewing part. The chemical effort is through enzymes. Your body starts to release enzymes. A couple of examples are salivary amylase, which helps to break down carbohydrates. And then your body releases also an enzyme called lysozyme. I think I'm saying that correct which helps to break down bacteria so that you don't get an infection or have any diseases from eating your food. So your body's already starting to protect itself as you're eating. After you're finished chewing, which hopefully you've chewed, I forget what the number is supposed to be, 20 times. <laughs> I don't know what the number is. I'm sure all of our parents said at some point, make sure you chew your food. <clears throat> Man, my, apparently I'm going through puberty again today. Nonetheless, <laughs> pushing through. Um, Make sure you chew your food. When you swallow food, it goes into the next stage, if you will. Um, hopefully, when you swallow food, it goes down your esophagus, which goes into your stomach. If you've ever had food or water go down the quote-unquote wrong pipe, that means that the wrong lid opened, if you will, and that water or food went down your larynx, which goes down to your lungs. And that's why you start to choke or you start to... <coughs> cough whenever you drink water and it's oh, wrong pipe water does not kill you no it's just that the wrong lid opened up to the wrong pipe <laughs> it's a crude way to put it but nonetheless um so when you swallow it goes down the esophagus which takes mechanical effort and then it gets into the stomach once it's in the stomach the stomach also is takes mechanical and chemical effort the stomach is literally churning the food up uh, grinding it up, if you will, turning it into what is called chime, fancy way of saying broken up food or partially processed food. Jana's face goes to show <laughs> how, how, how appealing that thought is. Um, yes, when you throw up, that is chime that you are throwing up. That is why it is partially processed because it is still in your stomach. Um, so that's what's happening when it's in your stomach. It's breaking things up and you're getting more enzymes and you're getting hormone release and all these things are starting to happen. Um, then once that's happened enough and it goes down to the bottom of the stomach, it goes toward the small intestine. The small intestine is made up of three parts, the duodenum, the jejunum, and the ileum in that order, if you will. During this process, it's mostly a chemical digestive process and many more enzymes are brought into play um, and we also have three accessory organs that are brought into play during this time as well the first one is the pancreas so the pancreas releases enzymes into the intestine um, that may not be the exact pathway so forgive me if it's somewhat different nonetheless uh, a couple of enzymes that are utilized pancreatic alpha amylase so if you recall when you were chewing food your body releases salivary amylase in this instance in the small intestine it is pancreatic alpha amylase again to help break down carbohydrates proteins are broken down by an enzyme called 
proteases, protease, um, or proteases, different kinds of enzymes. And then lipase breaks down fats. Those aren't the only enzymes that are included in this process. Those are just some of the basic ones um, released from the pancreas. The liver also comes into play here. The liver is the largest and most metabolically active organ in the body. That's why it is very important to keep it as healthy and vibrant as possible. Um, the liver does a couple of things. One of the important things that it does is produce a thing called bile. Bile is helped to... <laughs> doesn't sound good. Um, bile is used to uh, help break down nutrients as well. And then the gallbladder. The gallbladder is also utilized in this pro process. It stores and concentrates bile from the liver and then moves it to the small intestine. So stomach to the small intestine, once it's in the small intestine, then those three organs come into play and they start to do their thing to help break down the food more. Once this happens and the food is broken down mostly into its constituent parts at this point. We talked about amino acids, fatty acids, simple sugars, and all of that good stuff. Good stuff. Um, then the nutrients are, well, they have a couple of options, but a lot of the nutrients, or most of the nutrients, are taken up by what are called enterocytes in the small intestine. These are basically small cells that grab nutrients and absorb them into the body. Up until this, this point, technically, there's nothing in the body. Technically, there are no nutrients in the stomach. Like once they, when you swallow them, they're in your esophagus, they're in your stomach. Yes, they're inside of your body, if you will. But until they're grabbed by enterocytes, absorbed into the body, then they're not technically inside of the body, if you will. Now, once they've gone through this process in the small intestine, they are absorbed into the body through the enterocytes, um, and then shout out to different organs and tissues and blah, 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 through the bloodstream so that they can do whatever they need to do. Again, they're either stored, used, or lost in that process. Everything else that is left over that is not absorbed through these enterocytes goes down into the large intestine. This is all the leftover nutrients, if you will. Um, it's a basic way to put it. The large intestine absorbs more of the water and electrolytes from anything that's left over, and then the rest of it is excreted as feces. Okay? That's the basic process, if you will, from eating food to letting go of food or absorbing food, if you will. Um, that is why it takes 10 to 15% of your daily energy expenditure to digest it. It is a process. It's not as simple as like, most of us just, just eat our food and we don't even think about it and whatever happens, happens and great, whatever comes out on the other end comes out. But there, it, there's a process to it and it takes energy, which some of us are happy to hear. Most of us are probably indifferent to, but nonetheless, it does take energy and it does affect how your body, it, your body utilizes those nutrients when you're eating them. The two, so if you wanted to change this at all, it's 10 to 15% of your daily energy expenditure. You're probably not going to shift it too much. So I wouldn't count on this as the thing that's going to change that. You can go back to the counting calories series in order to understand these ideas a little more effectively. 
Um, the two biggest things that change the thermic effect of food. Number one, the number of calories in the meal, which I'm assuming most people don't want to just have more calories. What we're trying to do is most of us, not all of us, on average is lose weight, of course. Um, but that is one way to increase the thermic effect of food is just the overall calories of the meal. The number two way is the amount of protein in the meal. Remember that processed food, ultra processed food, primarily have lower amounts of calories and fiber. Those two things slow down the digestion of food and thereby that means that those foods are eaten up more during the digestive process and aren't as readily available. So the more protein that you have in a meal, the higher its thermic effect, and therefore the more energy you're burning to digest it, if that makes sense. And that's, those are the basic ways that you're going to increase the thermic effect of food. Outside of that, there are a couple of other strategies, but that's, that's if you want to have some sort of impact in this, that's what it's going to have. Um, and it's worth changing so that you can maybe shift the way that your body is absorbing nutrients or just shift the number, uh, the kind of nutrients that you're having in general. Again, overall calorie consumption and then protein consumption at each meal is going to be, are going to be your basic uh, big hitters here. Okay. Good. That was a lot of energy, energy for today. That was a lot of energy coming out of my mouth, I guess. Um, but that was a lot of information for today. Let's do a quick review and then we'll wrap up with some questions. So calorie is a unit of energy. Calories, food is broken down into constituent parts. All food has a cost to it based on its nutrient content. The body goes through this whole process from chewing all the way down to the large intestine and excreting. And then once those nutrients are in the body, absorbed through the small intestine, through enterocytes, they can either be used, stored, or lost in some way, shape, or form. And the most effective ways to increase the thermic effect is either through eating more calories per meal or eating more protein per meal. Probably the biggest, the most effective thing there for most people is going to be eating more protein per, per meal. So the things we're going to talk about in the next episode, resting metabolic rate and movement thermogenesis, that's where you're really going to get the most bang for your buck when it comes to calories out. But the thermic effect of food is not worth overlooking. It is definitely worth paying attention to. Um, okay, a couple of questions to think about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where are my questions? There they are. Okay. What types of foods am I eating that are impacting my thermic effect of food? Again, generally speaking, the more whole a food is, the more energy it takes to digest it. So that's worth thinking about. And then the protein content is important. Am I eating enough calories to support my goals? Also a very important question. We looked at starvation last time and how being in too much of a deprivation uh, deprivation state is actually very detrimental to the body. So you want to have a calorie deficit, deficit to be sure, but you don't want to be in too big of a deficit. On the other end, if your goal is to put on muscle, you need to know how many calories you need to ingest in order to do that. And it needs to be more than what you're burning. 
Finally, how can I start to utilize different energy systems to burn more calories? We talked about the aerobic system, the glycogen system, and the anaerobic system. How can you start to build in 10 seconds bursts, 10 second bursts of energies, energies, energy, 10 second bursts, um, 60 second bursts, and then even over two minutes, maybe going for a long walk or something like that. The more you can utilize each one of these energy systems and get them to be activated, the more effective and metabolically flexible your body is going to be, which is very important for your overall health. Okay, that's all I have, my friends, for today. Make sure that you subscribe and share this with your friends as well so that they can also get the good news. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.